into the Family and Marriage Clinic with your host, Bishop Carl Hodges. We say good evening, Bishop. And good evening, good afternoon, top of the morning to you, wherever you're listening to us from. Welcome to another episode of Marriage and Family Clinic. If you're in the United States listening to us, welcome aboard. If you're in another country other than the United States, welcome aboard. Whatever state you're listening to us in, welcome aboard to another episode of Marriage and Family Clinic. I welcome you. In Southern Virginia, you found us on WGPL 1350, WPCE 1400, and that's on your AM dial, and WBXB 100.1 on your FM dial. You can also hear us on the internet at www.christianbroadcastingcompany.com. And as we take off on today, if you would like to hear this or any other broadcast, you can search my podcast. You can find it on the podcast by searching iTunes or any podcast player on your smart device. Just search The C.D. Hodges Podcast. Just search The C.D. Hodges. You'll find Marriage and Family Clinic. Marriage and Family Clinic is here to help you break down and gain enlightenment into your relationship dynamics. We hope to help you identify what makes you tick and ultimately want to help you repair, want to help you grow and perfect your marriage and your family relationships. And I want to discuss an all-important subject today. I want to talk about how to divorce-proof your marriage. I want to talk about divorce-proofing your marriage. Here on Marriage and Family Clinic, that's what it's all about. We want to keep marriages together. Marriages are instituted by God. Marriages are blessed by God. We want to keep them together. We want to teach you how to make them work. And today we want to focus on how to divorce-proof your marriage. So by the time this episode is done with, I want to give to you just a few pointers on things that you can do, things that you can do to divorce-proof your marriage. And you know, nobody does all the planning that they do for a wedding or spend all the money that they spend for a wedding believing that their marriage won't last or believing that they're going to end in divorce. Nobody plans for that. Nobody spends thousands and in some cases hundreds of thousands and in a few cases even millions of dollars on their wedding thinking that their wedding, their marriage will not last. Yet divorce happens every single day. Divorce happens daily. For one reason or another, divorce happens daily. And based on some of the wedding rings I've seen, whoo, boy, I tell you, when I look at the size of some of those rocks and the cost of those diamond stones, you know, as much money as people sink into wedding rings, I just don't think that folks get married with the intention of busting up and splitting up. I just think that folks got married with the intention of remaining married until death separated them. Yet divorce happens daily. And I know people sign prenuptial agreements to protect their financial and economic interests in the case of divorce. Uh, But you know, divorce is so common that people draw up and sign prenuptial agreements that determine the separation of assets in case the marriage fails. That's what a prenup is for. And people pay money, good money, to lawyers to draw up those legal plans to divide assets in the case of divorce. So I know that prenups are popular, but I'm just a little bit old-fashioned. And while prenups are meant to reduce conflict during a divorce... 
more often than not, people are so hot and angry in the divorce that the prenuptial agreement is even contested. And in a few cases, a prenuptial agreement may be a prudent idea only in a few cases. But it may be a prudent idea, maybe a good idea, uh, say on a second marriage or in a case when you want to protect the interests of children or parents or other family members. You want to you preserve something that existed before a second marriage. So, so you get a prenuptial agreement. So, but in very few cases in which a prenuptial agreement really makes sense. Otherwise, here's the point I'm making. Otherwise, a, prenup, a prenuptial agreement... It just looks like we're holding back a part of us from the marriage. A prenuptial agreement looks like we're just, at most, 99% in this thing. 99% committed to the marriage. The other 1% is spent protecting our interests in case the marriage doesn't work. And I said all that to ask the question simply, wouldn't it just be better if we could somehow divorce-proof our marriages. And people may not think it like that, but again, I'm just a little bit old-fashioned. A prenup just seems like you're betting on not making it. Wouldn't it just be a world better if we could just somehow divorce-proof our marriages? You know, the American Psychological Association estimates that about 40 to 50% of married couples in the United States divorce. And I believe over the last year or so that the stats may be slightly better than that, but upwards of 40, between 40 and 50% of married couples in the United States of America divorce. And the divorce rate for subsequent marriages, if you own your second or your third marriage, the divorce rate is even higher. And I like to look at stats produced by the Barna Group. The Barna Group is known for sampling Christians. And the Barna Group reports that about 33% of Christians have divorced. And other stats may report higher numbers than that. 33, upwards of 33% of Christians divorce. And I've even seen stats that say divorce among Christians is, is right in line with divorce among non-Christians. How does the divorce rate among Christians nearly equal the divorce rate of non-Christians? Seems like if anybody can make it being married, the Christian can make it. But you know what? If you don't live your Christian faith, then Christian faith will do you no good. And the Bible says that about Israel in the book of Hebrews, that, 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 that hearing the word didn't do them any good because they didn't add faith to it. If you don't add your faith to what you know about God, then what you know about God will do you no good. So if you're not living your faith in your marriage, surely then you're liable to divorce right alongside non-Christians. Now, statistics say, statistics say that millennials are approaching family differently these days. And 45% of Americans don't think it makes a difference that there is growing variety in the types of family arrangements people live in. And this is concerning me. This is concerning me, this push here, this, this 
lackadaisical, laissez-faire attitude towards family arrangements. Add to that the cultural sway to accept same-sex marriage. And, you know, what we really have is a cultural push to redefine the family. We have a cultural push to redefine the family. And I hope I don't step on anybody's foot. I certainly hope I don't offend anybody or get on anybody's nerves. But according to the What We Believe section of the Black Lives Matter website, Black Lives Matter, one of their goals include disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. So whatever it is you believe about our current racial chaos, whatever it is you believe about race relations in the United States of America and anywhere else in the world, whatever it is you believe about Black Lives Matter, whether you try to separate the truth of the statement from the organization, whatever it is you believe, one goal of Black Lives Matter is to tear down the family. For some reason or another, a mother, a father, and children, that's not good enough for Black Lives Matter. Oh my goodness, I won't leave this alone. But listen, whenever God prescribes a thing to be right, I cannot roll with anyone who declares God's prescription to be wrong. And God prescribed and instituted marriage to be between a man and a woman. And they're supposed to have children to perpetuate the human race. Children are God's gift to parents and God's gift to the world. And when Black Lives Matter said one of our chief goals is to disrupt the nuclear family, then I've got a problem with that. And with all of this going on, with all of this going on, with this cultural push to redefine the family, what I'm saying to you in this episode of Marriage and Family Clinic is I don't want to forget about the good old-fashioned, traditional, ancient marriage. The oldest tried and true family unit. I cannot forget that God himself established marriage between a man and a woman way back in the beginning as recorded in the book of Genesis. Neither can I neglect Hebrews, the 13th chapter, which says in the New Living Translation, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Again, that's from the New Living Translation. But old school King James Version says, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And so we come to today's discussion and say, it would just be so much better if we could somehow divorce-proof our marriages. If we could really get trained and really build our marriages in a way that they become divorce-proof. Are you interested in that today? I'm certainly interested in telling you. Here's the key. There's a high divorce rate in the United States of America for any number of reasons, no doubt. But I want to be honest with you now. Nobody gets married 
with the idea of I'll just get tired and quit. That's not why we get married. That's not why we get married. So I want to make that abundantly clear. I'm not talking about some la-la land, some, 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 some place where the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter aligns with Mars and everything works out just right. And believe me when I tell you there is no such thing as a marriage without conflict or problems. I'm not just tiptoeing through the tulips here. I want to talk about reality. We can divorce proof our marriages, but I want to be honest with you. There's no such thing as a marriage without conflict or without problems. Even if you have mastered how to handle conflict, even if you have mastered how to handle your problems, there are still conflict and there are still problems. Why? Because a man and a woman married are two individuals. They are not the same. They are different. And they're going to have disagreements. There's going to be conflict. And conflict simply means disagreement. The trouble comes when the degree of conflict is so great that you can't settle it. And it just tears apart the marriage relationship. It causes hurt and pushes you into self-defense. It causes hurt and it takes too long to forgive if you ever forgive. The conflict can become so great that you're unable and you don't have the skills, emotional or mental skills to handle the conflict. But there will be conflict in every marriage, even if you have mastered how to handle conflict. A gentleman by the name of Robert Anderson said, in every marriage more than a week old, there are grounds for divorce. The trick is to find and continue to find grounds for marriage. Wow. You can always find a simple reason to get a divorce. Let's divorce for this. Let's divorce for that. Let's divorce for this over here. You can come up with an easy reason to divorce. It's just like uh, 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 criticizing. It's so easy to criticize. Divorcing is the easiest thing in the world to do. But find a reason. The trick to divorce-proofing your marriage is find a reason to stay married. Find grounds to make the marriage last and make the marriage work. So again, I ask the question, wouldn't it be better if we could just divorce-proof our marriages? If we could just divorce-proof our marriages. So, and I'm going to share some strategies with you about the first and, and definitely one of the most important things to share with you is about divorcing or uh, divorce proofing your marriage is you got to share your faith. You got to share your faith. Norman Vincent Peale, the noted writer, marriage counselor, and positive thinking guru said, I have married hundreds of couples and counseled hundreds of others, and I have never yet known a marriage to fail where the couple had or had acquired the habit of praying aloud together. And Norman Vincent Peale, he writes some wonderful material on marriage. I have some myself. But he says, out of the hundred couples I've married, I've never seen one divorce. I've never seen one bust up. 
who had the habit of, or who had acquired the habit of praying aloud together. You have to share your faith. And that's the first key. I'm going to share five keys with you to divorce-proof your marriage. There's so much more. There's so much more, but I just want to share five with you. Five keys to divorce-proofing your marriage. And the first key is share your faith. Sharing your faith lifts the mission and the purpose of your marriage higher than either one of your agendas. Sharing your faith is a constant reminder that there is a power greater than you. There's a power greater than the husband, a power greater than the wife. There's another power that this marriage is, is incorporated into and another power that's incorporated into this marriage. There's another power in our midst that's greater than our combined powers. Sharing your faith makes sure you keep Christ at the center of your marriage. Sharing your faith makes being right with God the number one priority. And sharing your faith ensures that love and grace are the ruling standards. Now, if we were to live by this key alone, just this key alone, we would reduce the divorce rate significantly. We would reduce the divorce rate astronomically if we would share our faith and believe in, truly had faith in the God we say we believe in. Sharing your faith means you understand that God has a mission for us being married together. And at all costs, we have to serve that mission. So the first key to divorce-proofing your marriage, share your faith. Key number two to divorce-proofing your marriage. Come together to discover your marriage mission and your purpose. We just told you that sharing your faith lifts the mission and the purpose of your marriage higher than either of you. So it's important for you to come together to discover exactly what your marriage mission and your purpose is. What is the mission of your marriage? What's the purpose of your marriage? Why are the two of you married? What did you get married for? And I hope it's not just to have sex legally. What did you get married for? How do you envision your marriage working? When you're looking at your marriage, when you're envisioning your marriage 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now, what do you see out there? How do you see your marriage impacting your family, impacting your community, impacting your state, impacting the world even? And just like sharing your faith, Having a marriage mission and a marriage purpose gives you something to focus on instead of your personal agendas. Come together to discover your marriage mission. Sit down with one another. Spend quality time determining what your marriage mission is. Babe, honey, I believe this is why we are married. And here's what I want to achieve. Here's what I see us achieving. What do you see? What do you think? What do you feel about it? How does our marriage impress you? Just like sharing your faith, having a marriage ministry gives you something to focus on in difficult times, in times of conflict. When you feel so insecure that you, 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 you retreat into your own safe emotional corners. 
Well, when you have a marriage mission, you can come out of that corner of fear. You can come out of that corner you've retreated in. You can come out of that avoidance technique and you can lift the mission higher than your fears and agree to serve the mission rather than each other's individual agendas. When you come together to serve the mission, it changes your priorities. You're more apt to look for a win-win situation when you lift the mission higher. A marriage mission and purpose, it gives you a cause to work towards and even sacrifice for. So husbands and wives, spend time talking about what your mission means to the both of you, what your marriage means to the both of you. Work up your imagination, work your imagination to form a vision and a mission for your marriage. So key number two, discover your marriage mission and purpose. Key number three, learn each other's love language. Learn each other's love language. And I have to pull this from uh, the book, The Five Love Languages. Uh, that's a book written by Gary Chapman. And if you don't have it in your library, it is so worth adding. It is, this book is so worth adding to your library. It just makes so much sense. I've heard it read and taught all over the world by all denominations, black, white, everything else. It is so worth it. And in this book, Chapman, uh, 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 he distinguishes five primary ways in which people express and receive love and affection. According to Chapman, there are five primary ways in which each one of us gives love and receives love and how we understand love in the giving and understand love in the receiving. And so what I'm saying to you is that your spouse understands that you love them based on you speaking their love language. So we're going to have to, the key number three to divorce proof in our marriage is we're going to have to learn each other's love language. And of the five ways, of the five languages, people have a primary and a secondary manner in which they best, best give and receive love and affection. The five, the five love languages are words of love and encouragement. That's number one. Number two, acts of service. Number three, giving time or quality time. Number, uh, uh, uh. The next one is giving gifts. There's physical touch. So the five are love and encouraging words, acts of service, quality time, giving gifts, and physical touch and closeness. Marriage partners need to be aware of their own love language as well as learn the love language of their partner. For example, if the way you best express love is by giving gifts, then your love language may be gift giving. If you really want to say, babe, I love you, and the way you try your best to get that point across is to give a gift, then your love language may be gift giving. Or if you feel securest and closest to your partner, if you really feel loved, and if you really say I love you best by spending time with your mate or your partner, then your love language is probably quality time. 
So understand that you have a language that you speak and you have a language that you understand. Uh, one way says, I understand love by the way that I act towards you. And one says, I understand love by the way you act towards me. We've got to learn that so we can reciprocate love. All right. So Chapman says there are three questions. There are three questions you can ask to help you discover your love language. Number one. How do you show love to your partner? How do you say, babe, I really love you? Number two, how does your partner show love to you? If you want to know what your partner's love language is, what is it your partner is always doing for you, with you, by you, to you? How do, how do they always want to say? And if you've been married a good length of time, you can figure it out. You can determine. You don't even have to be married that long. You can determine what are they always doing to show affection. Number three, how would you like your partner to show love to you? And I think that's critical right there. I think that's critical. How do you show love? What do you do when you really want your partner to know that you love them? And what would you like your partner to do to show you that he or she loves you? Now, I don't recall Chapman producing any scientific data to validate his theory. Uh, however, it, it's just blessed a whole lot of people all over the world and seems to satisfy and give insight to so many who want to be closer to and be better at loving their mates and meeting their partner's love needs. All right? So, key number four in divorce-proofing your marriage, live in love. Live in love. And I know that sounds simple, and it is simple, but some, for some reason, we just have a difficult time doing it. 1 Corinthians is commonly, or 1 Corinthians 13 is commonly referred to as the love chapter. And this chapter of the Bible describes just how love works and how love reaches out to meet the needs of others. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us the things we should do to have secure, healthy relationships and, and it also tells us the things that we should not do to have secure, healthy relationships. We should forgive, be patient, be kind, love truth, be loyal to each other, and believe in each other. Those are the things that we should do to express love. And then the things that we should not do to express love, we should not be jealous, don't be envious, don't be selfish, don't be irritable, don't hold grudges, and don't disrespect each other. Those are the things that we should not do in order to show love. Again, love alone, as described in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, is probably, is probably enough. If you just do the love that's described here in 1 Corinthians 13, that's probably going to be enough to divorce-proof your marriage. Just devote ourselves and commit ourselves to living in love. Forget falling in love. Determine to live in love. Oh, I got to say that one more time. Forget falling in love. Forget falling in love. All of that goo-goo-gaga stuff you see from Hollywood on TV and the movies and everything. Forget all of that. Forget falling in love and work to live in love. All right. The fifth and final key I want to share with you tonight in divorce-proofing your marriage. The fifth and final key, invest in each other. Invest in each other. You have to invest quality time and effort into building each other up and helping each other become all that God desires for you to be. 
Husbands, you got to build up your wives. Wives, you got to build up your husbands. You have to invest your heart, your mind, your soul into each other. You must do it. We ought to be determined to build up and support our partners through any and everything. I often tell my young couples that I minister to, it's you two against the world. You support each other more than anything and everybody else. Support him or her in their ambitions, their achieving their dreams, their aspirations. Support each other in the things that are important to each other. Each partner should be convinced deep in their hearts that their partner would be their rock of Gibraltar. Each partner should be convinced deep in their hearts that the husband or their wife, they're going to be the steady, calming, and supportive force in their lives. And I know all generalizations don't work, but women remember dates, man. Women remember dates and first. What is our first date, our first kiss, you know? And men need to do better remembering special days. Brothers, whatever you do, don't forget the anniversary. Do not forget the anniversary. Remember those things and make the effort, make the effort to memorialize those day, things, days, and make them special. Invest in her all year long. So maybe if you do happen to forget an anniversary or birthday or skip over another special day, then everything that you have done already builds you up a cushion. The investment you've made already will allow you to make some sort of a withdrawal from your love bank, as some call it, and it won't cost you so much. And women should understand that every now and then a man needs a little separation in order to unload and unwind, regroup. All right. Listen, I'm out of time. I have just a little bit more I would like to say about this. But I just want to tell you, five keys. Share your faith. Come up with your mission. Learn love language. Live in love and invest in each other. Those are the five keys to divorce-proofing your marriage. Listen, I'm out of time and I got to get out of here. But look us up. Search any podcast player, The C.D. Hodges Podcast. I'm out of time, but remember, you can't have peace without devoting your life to the Prince of Peace. God bless you. We're out.